I remember my, as a little boy, my mother, uh, I went watching with my mother this TV program. She never would miss it. Uh, uh, my mom had a lot of problems, and she was always praying for healing, and she was watching a faith healer on TV named Catherine Coleman, and she had this program called I Believe in Miracles. Do you believe God? Let me ask you something. Do you believe God can still perform miracles today? Okay. Well, I do, because the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means he's the same. And before he can, he's God. I mean, he can do anything. And that's why we are studying the people Jesus encountered when he walked on the earth, because their struggles, as well as their miracles, teach us something about our own lives and our own faith. In fact, when I'm reading about their story, when I'm reading their stories, I can put myself in their place. I believe you can as well. So far, we've seen how a storm at sea instilled fear in the disciples before Jesus spoke and calmed the storm. We've seen how a legion of demons possessed and bound a man until Jesus spoke and set him free. Well, today we're going to look at two more miracles, both miracles of healing, both with similar situations and solutions. And what we learn is that when faith meets Jesus, miracles happen, both then and now. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 5 as we continue our study that I've entitled Person of Interest. Mark chapter 5, person of interest. And I just want you to bow with me for a moment as we seek the face of the Lord. Father in heaven, today we open this most holy book. Lord, it's not just stories. It is your word, the word of God. This word is true. It's going to stand when everything is. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Father, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would take your word and would teach us something. You've already taught me something. You've already spoken this message to me. I've already heard your voice, and God, I pray today that everyone here will hear your voice and will follow you, will do exactly what you want them to do. You don't have to make any adjustments to you. We're the one that has to, we have to adjust our lives to you. And I pray, Father, that whatever we're going through, whatever struggles, whatever mountains or valleys, Lord, I pray today we would hear what you want to say. And that we, that we will just see a miracle. We'll see miracles in our lives, in our situations, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Person of interest. Now, In the Gospel of Mark, things move along very quickly, probably because, remember, Mark is the account written by Mark, John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas in the New Testament, John Mark. John Mark spent time with Simon Peter, and Simon Peter dictated the Gospel of Mark. So when you're reading Mark, It's the shortest of the Gospels because, let's just face it, Simon Peter was kind of short and to the point. You know, he gave the facts. He didn't 
He didn't use great literary genius here. He just gave the facts, and that's why Mark moves along pretty quickly here. After the freeing of the man possessed with a legion of demons, Jesus' disciples got back into the boat and crossed back over the Sea of Galilee, possibly to Capernaum, where he had begun the journey days earlier. Now, as before, when Jesus arrived, crowds of people came out to see him. I'm sure the pleas for help were great, just as great as before he crossed the first time. But out of that crowd, we see a man in whom Jesus took a personal interest. Notice with me verses 21 through 23 of chapter 5. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and Jesus was by the sea. So as soon as he gets out on the shore, people start running to him. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw Jesus, Jairus fell at his feet. Fell down at his feet. Now, from the text, we learn some things about Jairus, this person of interest. I want you to notice with me some of those things. First, we see Jairus was a spiritual man. Now, now we don't know how spiritual he was, but he was one of the rulers of the local synagogue, you see? One of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus was his name. Now, the Jewish synagogue, let's talk about the synagogue for just a moment. You've heard of the temple in Jerusalem, and you've probably heard of synagogue. There's still synagogues today. Well, the Jewish synagogue arose during the time of the Babylonian captivity, when in 576... Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, took his mighty army and marched into the southern two tribes of Israel, which were Judah and Benjamin. Assyria had already taken Israel, the northern tribes, away. And now Nebuchadnezzar comes and besieges the city of Jerusalem, makes life absolutely horrible in there, and he captures Jerusalem and he tears it down. He tears it down and he and he tears the temple down, burns the temple. It's all gone. And he took, he, he took and he began to take the people of Judah in the southern part of Israel, began to take them back to Babylon. He carried them in three deportations. He took the young ones first because he wanted to indoctrinate them with Babylonian religion and then teach them Babylonian customs and use them as liaisons between Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, and the Jewish people that he was bringing in captivity to Babylon. So uh, some of those were Daniel. You've heard of him in the lion's den, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and others. Now, so during that time of captivity, for about 70 years, the Jews were in captivity in Babylon. It's like the whole nation of have been carried to another nation. It would be like a big nation conquering us and taking us away. And here, our homes are still left. How, how about that? I mean, everything, they're here, all the pictures, all everything, because we've had no time to pack. They, the armies come in, they've taken us away, 
and they've carried us and deported us over to Babylon or to another country. And everything we have is here, including our churches. And so in another country like Babylon, we are over there. That would be our Babylon, wouldn't it? We'd be captives there. And over there, there would not be any churches for us. It's pagan country, a lot of, uh, a lot of false religion, a lot of, uh, like I say, uh, indoctrination with their customs and their religions. And here we are, and how are we going to keep alive our religion, our faith? Well, the temple's in Jerusalem. And Daniel prayed toward Jerusalem. I mean, the temple was gone, it was destroyed, but... Daniel got on his knees and opened his windows toward Jerusalem and prayed, let me not forget Jerusalem. I pray for Jerusalem. Well, that's one way. But then the other way is to have some assembling together and have some teachers to teach us the Word, just like I'm doing today. So some people, some teachers, some preachers, they start teaching the Word to assemblies of people like we have right here, and thus the synagogue was born. So the, the Jewish synagogue was like our what? Church, right? Like our church. So that's what happened. And it started over there in Babylon while they were over, while they were over there under, and uh, after, the, after about 70 years, the Lord threw the Persian king Cyrus released his people through, uh, through Cyrus, and they went back home. And one of the first things that they did was they started rebuilding the temple under Ezra's leadership. Ezra was a scribe. He, he wrote and the copy of the scripture. He went over there and organized, and he got the temple uh, rebuilding project started in, in Jerusalem. And so as life reorganized and relig religious life was reorganized, you had congregational worship with daily prayer and the reading of sections from the Bible. And that happened in groups, in meetings like this one, along with the building of the temple and eventually the, the, uh, the, the reorganization of temple worship in Jerusalem. So this is why they needed synagogues or meeting places. In fact, the place of meeting was called Bet HaKnesset because in Hebrew, Knesset means assembly or meeting. And Bet is house. Bet, house of, of meeting. And that's what the synagogues were. The, the temple was the place of sacrifices. It was the place where you went and worshipped during the feasts. But the synagogues were like the churches today where they worshipped frequently. Even many times every day they met in the synagogue. Most towns and villages had at least one synagogue. Jerusalem had hundreds. Somebody, I read that Jerusalem probably had 400 or more synagogues because there were a lot of people and they wanted to get together. How many, let me ask you a question. How many churches would it take if every single person in New Hanover County wanted to come to church on Sunday and meet. It'd probably take more than we have, wouldn't it? And so, wouldn't that be wonderful? 
Wouldn't it be wonderful to see them all filled up? Well, that's what was happening in, in Jerusalem. They were filling up these synagogues. And rabbis, teachers, would go teach in the synagogues. And Jesus was a rabbi. Remember, he's called teacher, rabbi. And the rabbis were teaching. And in fact, the gospel writers, they, they named two of these synagogues. We see a synagogue in Nazareth and Capernaum where Jesus taught. And here he is back in Capernaum. Now, in our text, Jairus was one of the rulers of the synagogue, which probably means he was one of the rulers of the synagogue God's in Capernaum. We don't know if they had one or more, but there was at least one. He was one of the rulers. Now, a synagogue ruler was an official appointed by the elders of Israel to look after the building, its contents, including the scrolls of Scripture and its arrangements for worship. While rabbis were the teachers, men like Jairus were responsible for the oversight of of the meeting place and seeing that everything was ready when the church came to meet, or not the church, but when the, the Jews came to meet for worship. So Jairus was a pretty important man in that town. And perhaps that is how he got to Jesus, an audience with Jesus, when all this crowd of people, how many people were around Jesus? Hundreds or thousands. And Jairus was able to get to Jesus. Perhaps when he walked in, they were saying, here's Brother Jairus, let's make way. And he came to Jesus, and he talked to Jesus because he was a spiritual man. Then secondly, Jairus was a family man. Now, we know why Jairus came to Jesus. It was on behalf of his critically ill daughter. He came to Jesus. Now, according to Jairus, this father, his little girl's at home lying sick and at the point of death. Now, we don't know the nature of the disease, but look what, he, what happened. He said in verse 23, my little daughter lies at the point of death. We do know the severity of the disease. It's, it's critical. And we see the magnitude of this father's love for his little girl. He left her bedside when she was dying and he came to get help from Jesus. Later in the story we're also going to see his wife. So not only did Jairus have a family, we know he loved his family and he did what it took to take care of his family, even risk some embarrassment and uh, that's the next thing we're going to see about Jairus, that he was a humble man. Now notice what Mark said about Jairus. When, when he saw Jesus, look in verse 22, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, and he begged, verse 23, and begged him earnestly, saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed and live. This was a man who was used to being honored and giving instructions. To others, that's why he was called the ruler, a ruler of the synagogue. I'm sure Jairus was accustomed to granting requests, not begging, especially not begging this man Jesus, who the other religious leaders shunned. You know that that was what Jairus was risking when he knelt down before Jesus. Here was a very important man now on his knees begging, 
and he's begging Jesus, and he, he ran the risk of even, even, being, even losing his job in the synagogue. Still, he fell down and begged Jesus for help. He begged Jesus earnestly. He pleaded with him for help. He did not care what others thought. His little girl was dying, and this father would do anything for the life of his daughter. Friends, we have a heavenly father who loves us more than we can comprehend, who loves us more than he loves his own life. Jairus didn't know it at the time, but this same Jesus who stood before him, the one whom he was begging to come to his house and touch his daughter, this same Jesus would humble himself and lay aside his honor and glory to become a sacrifice for Jairus and for us and for everybody in between us so that whosoever believes in him would receive him as Savior and Lord would not perish but have everlasting life. Now looking back at the agony Jesus endured on the cross, Paul said, Philippians 2, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. In other words, he was God in the flesh, but he made himself of no reputation, and he took on him the form of a servant, a slave, and coming in the likeness of men, with flesh and blood like we have, being found in appearance as a man, this God in the flesh humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death, the death of the cross. Jairus begged Jesus to save his dying daughter. Her death would be more than he could bear. You know, I don't know what that's like personally, but I know how much I love my children. And to see one of them suffer and die, it would rip out my heart. Well, I wonder if God the Father felt the same way when he watched his only begotten son be tortured to death on the cross. I wonder what was in the mind of God when Jesus cried out in pain, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's one thing to watch your child die, but it must be an entirely different thing to watch your child murdered before your eyes. But that's how much God values each of us. And John said, Behold, look at that love that the Father has given us, has poured out on us that we, that he would call us his children. To save us, God had to put on flesh and give up his earthly life to pay the price for our salvation. And that's how much he loves us. That's how much he loves you. Enough to give up everything for you. Now Jairus did not know it. But this same Jesus before whom he bowed and begged for help would give his life to save not just this, his little girl, but himself and his wife and his family, the whole world. John wrote, 1 John 2, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation, the substitute for our sins on the cross the Bible says he took our sins and became a sinner, became us on the cross, became, died for our sins. 
and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. When Jairus bowed before Jesus, Jairus displayed a humble faith, a faith that was in his heart. And then Jairus confessed his faith with the words that he spoke to Jesus in verse 23. He said, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed. And what's the last thing that he said? And she will live. What did he say? And she will live. That's very important. That's important for us to understand what was in the heart of this man. Faith was there. Faith is the only thing that will bring God's power, God's miracle-working power into our circumstances. Faith. James said, but let him, whatever it is you're asking for with God, let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Let me ask you a question. Do you think God is going to do for you and give you everything you ask Him? What do you think? Well, what if it's wrong? You think God's going to give you something wrong? You think He's going to give you something bad? God is not going to give you something that's not part of His plan for you and is not good for you. I I can think of all the times I pleaded with God for things that were not right for me. I'm so glad my father knew better than I. Aren't you glad he knows better than you? But when we pray, even though we may not get everything we ask because it might not be right for us, we still need to pray in faith, not doubting God. Because, you know, you and I cannot always tell what is the right and perfect will of God. That's why we have to pray with faith always. And God's going to know what to do, right? He's going to do what's best for you. But your prayer must always be in faith. What's your prayer to be in? Faith, right. You see, it's not that Jesus cannot work in spite of our unbelief. It is that Jesus will will not work if we do not believe. When Jesus calmed the storm with his voice, it was in spite of the unbelief of the disciples. When Jesus cast out a legion of demons from a man, it was in spite of the unbelief of the people around him. The stories we read in the Bible, stories of people and their problems and how Jesus helped them, Many of those people are not examples to follow. (laughs) They are are examples of what not to do. When Jesus walked on this earth, it was a very dark place. People had been walking in darkness for a long time. Jesus came to shine the light of God's truth in their lives. He came to give them an example to follow. So folks, if you want to follow an example, follow the example of Jesus. Amen? And of course, there are those who did exercise faith in Jesus. And they are good examples for us to follow. Their stories are in the Bible to give us inspiration and encouragement. They are there to strengthen our faith. Jairus was one of those people. When he came to Jesus for help, Jairus came in humble faith, believing that Jesus could do and would do what he asked. He said, come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Verse 24. So, when 
Jesus. So when, so when Jesus, so Jesus went with him. I like that. Verse 21. So Jesus went. Jairus said, please come to my home and lay your hand on my daughter and she will live. Verse 24. Read that with me. Read it. So Jesus went with him. Okay? Now we could stop right there. Really. I'll go. And a great multitude followed Jesus and thronged him. Jesus went with him. That little word at the beginning of that sentence is so important. So. That word so means to the extent. So, to the extent of Jairus' faith. Because Jairus asked in humble faith. Jesus went with him. That's so, such an important faith lesson for us. Let's read it together. Faith, principle one. Ready, go. If we want to see a miracle in our circumstances, we must keep Jesus close. You know, I've, I know Jesus is everywhere through his Holy Spirit. But Jairus needed Jesus to come home with him. Some people want Jesus to stay outside until they need him. That's not real faith. Real faith says, Jesus, I need you every moment of every day. I don't want to take a step, Jesus, unless you're right there with me. That's the kind of faith Jesus wants to see in his people. Just look at the world around us. Folks, listen, we too are in a dark world. We too are in a culture where people are, very, are controlled by Satan. And his army of demons. Uh, it's uh, so frustrating. It seems like every day a new concept of evil promoted. It's unbelievable. A new perversion. This past week I was listening to the news and one of the Republican candidates for president was being questioned by a girl, a young lady who called herself a pan-gender. Pan-gender. That means she identifies as a, 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 a world, a, a host of of, uh, of of, of genders. Folks, I'm sorry. I, when I was a little boy, I was taught from a very early age that there are boys and there are girls. You know, I, 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 and it's still true, by the way. How do you identify something other than a male or female? You know, folks, I don't care if you call yourself a chair, but don't try to force me and my children to believe you're a chair or be a chair. You know, I, I don't force, try to force me or my children or my grandchildren or the people I love to accept, to endorse your behavior or be something God did not create us to be. I, this, candidate, this candidate said he was very wise. He said, I don't care if you choose to be whatever, but what I do mind is minority tyranny that the minority would try to force everyone to endorse your belief or opinion. And that's exactly what is happening in our world today. That's why these big guys who put on tights and call themselves women are breaking women's sports records. That's why the media is constantly parading a woke image before us. That's why Disney has guys pretending to be princesses in the park. I used to love to go to Disney World. But look at this Disney princess. Well, folks, I got to tell you, this is a boy who calls himself a girl. And Disney has him in the park to greet all the little girls who want to be princesses. I think it's a perversion of what God created us to be. And, that, and it's a minority tyranny. I, I also think it's creepy, just to be honest with you. I, 
Our children are being fed this perversion every day. And in some schools, such as California and Virginia, I'm sure other places, if a child wants to change his or her gender and be called by a different pronoun, the school goes along with it and does not call the parents and let the parents know. They just go along with it and they promote it and endorse it. These things, these confusing, perverted ways of behavior have been going on for a long time. Paul addressed this moral perversion in his time, in Romans 1. Listen to what he said about how God views such confusing and perverted ways. Look at this. He's, Paul said, this is why God delivered them over, to degrading passions. For even their females exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The males in the same way also left natural relations with females and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Males committed shameless acts with males and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. Paul said because they rejected the truth of God, because they chose moral perversion over God's perfect plan for men and women, God gave them up. He let them run toward destruction and eternal punishment. And then Paul ended chapter 1 with this, although they know full well God's just sentence that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. What a picture of today when there's no shame, no regret, no fear of God before the eyes of people who are engaged in the most wicked behaviors. And in fact, they're applauding this kind of perversion. That's right. These terrible news shows and talk shows which applaud such behavior. These people are destroying our America. And hear me, God is not pleased with this. No, He's not. And let's make no mistake, folks. If we choose leaders who endorse this godless perversion... We are guilty of it. Did you hear me? In the eyes of God, we are responsible for standing up and speaking up for His truth. And if we don't, if we vote for people and support people who are applauding this kind of evil, we are guilty of it. God said it. Therefore, to Him who knows to do good and does not do it, to Him it is sin. When Jairus came to Jesus, he recognized that Jesus was what he needed. Folks, this world needs Jesus. Amen? This world needs Jesus. I don't know how Jairus came to faith in Jesus. Perhaps he had seen the miracles of healing that Jesus had already performed. What I do know is that Jairus came to Jesus because he saw that his need was beyond his control. And he needed Jesus to come home with him. Friends, Jesus will not come home with us if our homes are filled with unbelief and evil things. Do you know that there are people in our world who call themselves Christians who practice all this evil that our culture promotes? There are churches who forget what God said in His Word and abandon God's Word and choose to embrace the moral perversion which has saturated our culture. Friends, the church has not been called by God to be a cultural center, but a worship center. For the God who is holy, holy, holy. If you want Jesus to come home with you and work a miracle in your life, you have to walk with Him in His way, in, the, in His path of righteousness. King David said, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of His salvation. Righteousness. 
Being right with God is the only way to walk with Jesus. We cannot walk with Jesus and walk with the world and the devil at the same time. We have to make a choice. Walk with Jesus or walk alone without Him. We can either walk a perfect path, a path of His making, laid out for each of us that leads to a blessing in life, or else we can follow our own path or the evil path of the world or the God of this world, Satan. John said, do not love the world nor the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. I want you to think about this for a moment, about Jairus, about the walk he was making. Was Jairus walking in the way of the world, or was he walking with Jesus? Was he where? With Jesus. He was walking with Jesus. He had invited Jesus to his home. He had begged Jesus to come to his home. And Jesus was walking right beside Jairus, close to him. Did Jesus know where he was going? Yes, he did. Did Jesus know what he was going to do when he got there? Of course he did. Did Jairus know what Jesus was going to do? He believed Jesus would heal heal his daughter, but he didn't know. Jairus did not know what would happen when they arrived at his home. Neither did he know what would happen along the way, but he didn't have to. All he had to do was trust Jesus. And that's our next faith principle. Read it with me. Faith principle two. When we are walking with Jesus, we do not need to know all the answers. We just need to trust that He does. There they went, side by side through the crowd. And boy, it was some crowd. I guess there were thousands of people around Jesus that day. All kinds of people reaching for Him, touching Him as He walked by. Because you see, in Jewish thought, People thought that the power of a person also radiated out in their clothing and they just wanted to touch his clothing to receive an ounce of his power. But that's not the way to touch Jesus, folks. Jesus is not touched by our hands. Jesus is touched by our hearts. We can't manipulate God, the God who created the universe. In the scheme of billions of galaxies out there, we're tiny, insignificant specks. And yet in our story, here he is, Jesus, the God of... God of all things, the creator of all things, in the flesh, walking on a dusty road beside a man named Jairus whose little girl was dying. Why would God so mighty, so almighty care about any of us? I don't know. I really don't know. But he does care. He loves us. And humble faith brings him home with us. It touches him. It moves him to save us and heal us. That's what we see in another person of interest as Jairus walked with Jesus. Verses 25 and 26. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and, le- and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and she was no better, but rather grew worse. Now let's get the picture. Thousands of people around Jesus, crowding Him, touching Him, doing everything in their power to get close to Jesus. Thousands of unnamed people, just part of the crowd, unspecified people. But one woman became a person of interest to Jesus. Why? It wasn't because of her illness. Because there was a lot of sick people who came to Jesus. This woman was dying. She had a bleeding problem. She'd been losing blood for 12 years. What do we know about her? Well, first, this woman was exhausted. She was exhausted physically. This woman had a bleeding disorder. And after 12 years of suffering with it, she was no better. She was dying. No one could help her. She'd done everything she could. Can you imagine how she felt? The bleeding kept her from enjoying life. She couldn't go somewhere and enjoy a nice, beautiful day because she had to consider her condition. 
She had to plan for her bleeding. I'm sure it was embarrassing and frustrating and physically exhausting. When a person loses blood, there's weakness that comes over them. Your body needs blood. The more the, the blood the body loses, the weaker it becomes. She was physically exhausted. Secondly, she was exhausted financially. Verse 26 says she had suffered many things physicians she had spent all she had and was no better but rather grew worse the woman had trusted in the medical professionals of her day but instead of being helped she was an experiment like a rat in a laboratory many physicians had treated her but without success she was exhausted from the 12 years of treatments and the cost of she had spent everything she had to get better and no one had helped her she was dying but then one day she gathered up her courage and crawled out of her bed of despair and joined a crowd of people to see Jesus. She was exhausted physically and financially, but she would find help in Jesus. Why? Because the woman had a humble, the same kind of faith that Jairus had. Verse 27, 28, when she heard about Jesus, she came from behind him, came behind him and in crowd and touched his garment. For she said, what did she say? If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Like Jairus, this woman believed Jesus was the answer to her need. She believed that if she could touch Jesus, she would be healed. Jairus believed that if Jesus would touch his daughter, she'd be healed. The woman believed if she could touch Jesus, she would be healed. This woman, with humble faith, she didn't care if Jesus even saw her. She had faith in the clothes he was wearing. That's faith, folks. So she came up behind Jesus somehow forcing her way through that crowd, reaching out in faith. And when she touched the hem, the bottom of Jesus' cloak, she was instantly healed. Verse 29, Immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. This woman received a miracle of healing instantly. She didn't have to wait on it. She didn't have to try new medicine. When her faith touched Jesus, she was healed And it was her faith that did it that made her a person of interest to Jesus. Verse 30. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you? And you say, Who touched me? Well, a lot of people were touching him. And he looked around, Jesus looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, what did she do? came and fell down before him, just like Jairus, humble faith, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, what did Jesus say? Read it. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Shalom. Go in peace. You're healed. You're healed. Everything this woman needed was found in Jesus. And all she had to do was touch him with her faith. All these people in that crowd touching Jesus with their hands. But one woman touched him with her heart. And her humble faith brought Jesus into her circumstances and she was healed. What no one else could do, Jesus did. She didn't have to tell Jesus what she needed. All she had to do was touch him by faith. And her humble faith brought a miracle. And folks, it will for us. So Jairus and Jesus continued walking toward his home where his sick daughter lay dying. Then he heard some bad news, verse 35. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Bad news. The worst news. Have you ever been trying to stay close to Jesus and you heard bad news? Have you ever been trying 
your best to live for Jesus, to serve Him, to worship Him, and still you heard discouraging news. Friends, even the strongest Christians have to walk through valleys. Even people of faith face times of discouragement. People around you might say to you, just as they did to Jairus, what's the use? Why pray? Why go to church? Why try? God doesn't even hear you. Or maybe God wants this bad stuff to happen to you. What can you do when the demons of disappointment attack you? Do what Jairus did. He listened to Jesus. He stayed close to Jesus. Verse 36, look with me. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, you know, your daughter's dead. (laughs) He said to the ruler of the synagogue, what did Jesus say? Read it. Do not be afraid. Only believe. It's easy to believe when things are going good, when life is rolling merrily along. But what about when you hear the worst news ever? That's when our faith is really tested. And that's when our walk with Jesus can grow stronger and faith bolder. When we tune out the world and tune in to the voice of Jesus. When we keep walking with Jesus during tough times, that's when we see the greatest miracles. Verse 37. And he permitted, Jesus permitted, no one to follow him into that house except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, or to follow him through the crowd to get to that house. And then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and what did he see? A tumult. Uh, and those who wept and wailed loudly, loud mourning, crying. And he, when he came in, he said to them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead but sleeping. And what did the crowd do? They ridiculed Jesus. You know, we should notice Jesus left the majority of the people outside while he, Peter, James, and John, and the mother and father of the little girl went into the room where death had struck. In fact, the next verses tell us that Jesus put them all, the rest of them outside the house because unbelief, folks, has no place in the room with God in His life-giving power. It's like light and darkness together. When light shines, darkness has to go. When the life of Jesus enters a life, Death has to go. We cannot have eternal life and eternal death in the same body. We're either physically alive or physically dead. We're either spiritually alive or spiritually dead. Paul said, Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal that the Lord knows who are His, and He knows who are not His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Let me tell you something, folks. A walk with Jesus is a walk of faith and holiness. There's a whole lot of people who start out walking with Jesus, but then they leave Him behind while they start walking a path of self-fulfillment or fleshly pleasure or unbelief. There might be people in your world who will not believe. Listen, they will not follow Jesus no matter what you say. You can talk to them and pray for them, and you can set an example for them, and they still will not turn to Jesus. They think it's too much fun to play and live in the world than to live for Jesus and the eternal purpose He has for us. Notice when Jesus spoke words of life to the crowd of mourners. He's not, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. They ridiculed Him. They laughed at Him. They were there for a funeral and they were going to have a funeral. That's why Jesus had to put them out. Folks, you might have to put someone or something out of your life to continue to walk with Jesus. But believe me, Jesus is so much more than anything else. Just listen and do what he says. It's what Jairus did. Yeah, keep sowing those seeds of the kingdom in people's lives that you know. But if they will not receive Jesus, if they will not hear, put them out and go on for Jesus. Look at verse 40. But when he had put them all outside, 
He took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. And he took the child by the hand and he said to her, Talitha kumi, which is translated, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it. In other words, don't go out and broadcast it to the outside yet. Just give her something to eat. Jairus had walked with Jesus through the crowd, through the miracle of the woman's healing, all the time knowing that his little girl was dying. It took time for Jesus to get to his home. But Jairus did not, crush, did not rush Jesus. Jairus believed that Jesus could, could heal his little girl no matter the circumstances. So his faith carried him to his home because he trusted Jesus. He would witness one of Jesus' greatest miracles. When Jesus entered that room of death, he was not afraid. Jesus knew what he was going to do. The one who calmed the storm at sea with his voice could raise the dead with his voice. When he took the little girl by the hand and he said, Talitha kumi, Talitha is a little term of endearment. It's like saying, little lamb. What you'd say to a child, little lamb. Jesus, the great good shepherd said, little lamb. Her body's dead, it's cold. Little lamb, get up. Get up, little lamb, like you're waking your little child in the morning. Get up, lamb. The people were outside mourning and going on and on like she was dead. Jesus said in two words in Aramaic, Talitha kumi, get up, little lamb. When Jesus spoke immediately, life entered her little lifeless body. Then this girl who had been dead lived again. She got up and started walking and all in that room that day, Jairus and his wife, Peter, James, and John, they were all amazed. All were amazed except for Jesus because Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. Before Jesus ever got to Jairus' home, he knew he had the power of life and he knew what he was going to do and what was going to happen. When Jesus called this 12-year-old girl to life, she obeyed and she got up alive. What had been a terrible place of tragedy was transformed into a house of light and life when the good shepherd called the little lamb back to life. Amen. Now what do you think? You think Jairus believed in miracles? What about his wife? This little girl, you think the woman who had been sick for years with a blood disease, you think she believed in miracles? What about these disciples? Did they believe in miracles? <laughs> they all believed when they saw his power. Amen? And friends, if you've been to Jesus and he's come into your heart, you've seen his power. You're a miracle. You're a miracle. Now, how did these folks get there? Well, these stories had a lot in common. You see, what was it that the disciples had to overcome in their lives? Fear. When Jairus received word that his daughter had died, what did Jesus say to him? You're afraid, Jairus. Don't be afraid. A storm at sea, a debilitating blood disease, the threat of death, demons in control. These are all storms. And the one who helped these people can help us today. His name is Jesus. How old was this little girl? How old? Twelve. How many years did the woman suffer the blood disease? Twelve. Friends, life is so interconnected. So many things happen on this journey, but the constant, the thing that ties everything together is Jesus. Jesus knows who we are, what we need, where we're headed, who we will encounter along the way, the challenges we're going to face. He has the power to get us from this side to the other, from fear to faith, from sickness to health, from death to life, because he has overcome it all on the cruel cross. 
He carried our sins and suffered for us at his own grave. Jesus brought life back into his lifeless body, and he arose. When the disciples were in that storm, the presence of Jesus overcame their fear. When the demons were terrorizing a man, the presence of Jesus overcame the power of those demons. When the woman was bleeding to death, the presence of Jesus healed her disease. When Jairus got the bad news, the presence of Jesus gave him hope. When the little girl, the little lamb laid dead on the bed, it was the presence of Jesus that brought life from the dead. Folks, I want to tell you something. Jesus is your answer. He's your answer today to whatever you need. He can calm any storm you face. He can set you free from anything that binds you. Death, Satan, addiction, fear, disease. Jesus is always your answer. He will always have a miracle for you if you stay close to Him, if you walk with Him. Remember, when we are journeying through this life, if we want to get through and to the other side, we need to stay close and trust Jesus to know what to do in every situation because faith in Him works miracles in 2013 and by the way thanks to alice guyton who sends these devotions every day she sent this one it was a good one in 2013 about 600 on-site spectators watched aerialist nick walinda walk on a tightrope across a 1400 foot wide gorge near the grand canyon walinda stepped onto the two-inch thick steel cable. And what did he do? He thanked Jesus for the view as he had a camera on his helmet, as his head camera pointed toward the valley below. He thanked Jesus for the view. He prayed, praised Jesus as he walked across the gorge on that tightrope as calmly as if he were walking down the sidewalk. When the wind picked up and became treacherous, he stopped and crouched. And then he rose and he regained his balance, thanking God for calming the cable. With every step on that tightrope, he displayed his dependence on the power of Christ to everyone listening then and now as the video is watched across the world. So as we experience life storms or walk on the tightropes of trust stretched over the deep valleys of affliction, we can demonstrate confident faith in the power of Christ. God will use our faith walk to inspire others to hope in Him. Let's bow. I asked you at the beginning, I'm going to ask you now, do you believe in miracles? Do you need one? Well, then you have to get close to Jesus. You cannot experience His power if you're trying to keep Jesus outside of your life. He has to be in your boat. He has to be in your heart, he has to be walking with you. He has to be part of every moment of your days. Are you walking with Jesus? Walking in his perfect and righteous path? Walking that tightrope of faith with him? Or are you walking your own path, a dangerous path that the devil wants you to walk alone or hand in hand with an evil world? Only you can answer that question. Is your prayer, draw me nearer, precious Lord? Or stay away, Jesus, you're too close. Maybe you need Jesus. You want Him close. You want Him in your heart. Pray with me and say, Dear Jesus, I believe You died for me on the cross. 
that you suffered and shed your blood to pay for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead. I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior. I ask you to forgive me for every evil thing that's ever been in my life. I want you to clean out my house, Jesus. Make me clean in your sight. Wash me in your blood. And come into my heart and save me. I need you, Jesus. I beg you. Come, come into my home. And be my Savior forever. Thank you, Jesus. Boy, if you prayed that prayer, it's the greatest prayer ever. But you've got to start walking. With and maybe you're here and you started out walking for Jesus, but you took a detour. Well, you've got to get back on that tightrope with Jesus. Whatever you have to put outside of your life is worth it. Father in heaven, thank you that we have had the word today. The Holy Spirit spoken this to us, Lord. And God, I pray we're all seeing ourselves in the different people of this story. And I pray, God, would you just help us walk close to you, Lord, because we need you every moment of our lives through everything, good times and bad. Lord Jesus, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Quentin, come and lead us this beautiful song. And as we sing, I'll be at the front to pray for you or encourage you any way I can if you need to.